read Mark 16:14 through 20. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, and I'm so happy to be here to preach the word to you, and as we uh, will go into this prayer in a minute, I just want to be thankful for each one of you being here, and keep in mind of those that are absent here, there's a circumstance or something that may keep them from here, or they're traveling, um, as uh, Karen and Charlie had left earlier this week. For a funeral, Karen had an uncle that passed, and, and then they're also visiting Charlie's family um, elsewhere. And of course, you know, through the community, we always have visitors and, and just people just that like coming here that, you know, the Holy Spirit calls on them and, and brings them. So let me open this sermon with a prayer. Father God, we desire to grow up in the word, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ Jesus, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in his very breath and blood flows through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God and robust in love. Father God, thank you that Jesus has given to us the glory and honor that you gave him, that we may be one as you and Jesus are one, Jesus in us and you in Jesus, in order that we may become one and perfectly united that the world may know and definitely recognize that your almighty that you almighty god sent jesus and that you have loved us even as you have loved jesus father god your will be done on earth as it is in heaven amen so the name of this sermon i call it the the great commission and, and from the scripture of Mark, it's kind of, while it is, Jesus' last words telling his disciples of what they're to do. 
However, today is also a day I'd like to rejoice in. It's one of my favorite days of the year. Of course, the first one is being Christmas Day with the birth of Christ. The second one being the resurrection of Christ. That is great. Well, a little over 500 years ago, we started recognizing this day as the Day of Reformation. So happy Reformation Day, everyone. Let us celebrate. So as today we recognize this day as the beginning of the Reformation in the Protestant Church, today will be the 504th year of when Father Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses or statements to the University of Wittenberg's chapel in Germany. By doing this, I believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord, was revealed to the Catholic Church again. Of course, we know that by this time, Martin Luther, in the 1500s, the early Christian church had developed into the Roman Catholic Church, which actually was probably a thousand years from now when it started. And Martin Luther, being a, a devout uh, Catholic and learning the word, he challenged the church and wanted discussions of, of what the faith of the Catholic Church was. And that's what led on to these theses, these 95 theses that come up. And in that, I would say that actually I think the Catholic Church started around 1000 as the scriptures were read and turned. So halfway through that, that's when Martin Luther shared his discussion. And it was in no way that he was planning on leaving the church or anything there. He just wanted discussion of what was going to go on. And even as he became a Catholic, he was coming home from college school one day, and a bad thunderstorm started. And next thing you know, bolt of lightning started hitting, and he got down and hunkered down and prayed to St. Anne. Please, if you get me through this, I'll become a monk. And which he did, because he survived that storm, and he devoted himself to that. But as he went on and studying and learning, he brought up these questions. So committed to the idea that salvation would be reached through faith and by divine grace only, Luther vigorously objected to the corrupt practices of selling indulgences. Indulgences were the act of asking parishioners for money to pay for the sins of their deceased loved ones. Acting on his belief, he wrote the disputation on the power and efficient effectiveness of indulgences, and that's known as the 95 Theses. 
The first two of these contains Luther's central idea that God intended believers to seek repentance and that faith alone and not deeds would lead to salvation. The majority of the other 93 theses, which directly criticize the practice of indulgencies, supported these first two. This action of Martin Luther is what started the Protestant church. However, there were forerunners before Martin Luther that challenged the Catholic church. One of them was Peter Waldo. He died in 1218, but in his life, he had the Bible translated to other languages within the region from the Latin that it was printed at the time. And he sent disciples out to the commoners to read them the Bible and to help them to understand the gospel. And that's where I feel privileged to sit under Bobby as our pastor as he teaches me the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another one is John Huss. In 1402, he began preaching in Prague, demanding the reformation of the church. He died in 1415, burned at the stake. But he believed the gospel was more important than life at that time. My favorite reformer is Lady J. Grain. Gray, I'm sorry, not Grain. Lady J. Gray. She was only 17 years old. Man, for some of us, that was a long time ago. But for some of us, that's coming up around the horizon. She was a teenage martyr. She was also queen of England and Ireland for nine whole days. You should pray to God that I never become mayor of Riodoso for one day. In her life, there was a chaplain named John Frickenham who tried to convince her to come back to the Catholic Church. He stated that justification comes by faith and works. By faith and works. She stands her ground on sola fide, in faith alone. He asserts that the Eucharist, we'll be taking the Eucharist in a little bit, the Eucharist bread and wine are the very body and blood of Christ, while she remains that the elements symbolizes Jesus' saving works, that grace that we get. Here are three things that every Christian should know about the Reformation. It was about happiness, 
It was about freedom. It was about the future. And the reference that I got this, which is a very good article out of the Gospel Coalition, it was written by uh, Michael Reeves in op October 28, 2017. And also, you know, when we were celebrating the 500 years of the Reformation, Teresa so elegantly sent out from Desiring God a devotional about the Reformation that John Piper had put together of other writings. So that's where I got the reference of these three forerunners that I mentioned. But there are so many more. I think it's a whole month that she goes over, or he goes over, um, someone that had the true meaning of the gospel in their heart and knowing that. And on these theses, number 62 is my favorite. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. That is so powerful to me this day that I could rely on God's steadfast love and his glory for us, that we have treasures in heaven. So going to the verses, on verse 14, I could relate to that, that Jesus got mad at his disciples that they didn't believe without having to see them. That was a reference point that was also mentioned in Matthew 28, 17. As he appeared to Mary Magdalene and some of the ladies. And they went and told the disciples, but some of them rejoiced and some of them said, no, nah, I got to see it from my own hands. But here we are at this point, And we believe, well, I hope we believe that Jesus is alive and well and seated at the right hand of the Father, that we will one day be rejoicing with him together. So it's, it's hard for some people to accept that, and that's where we come in and pray. Verse 15 is where it's proclaimed to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And sometimes our world may be our own home. I suffer from that. With the help of my wife, we're teaching our grandkids. And some of them at first had rejected. I mean, a three and five-year-old that when we would say a prayer over our meal, they would hold back from their hands to whole hands. And over the years, now they're saying amen after the prayer. And here, we all have our own world, our own creation that God has provided for us and let us go out and proclaim the gospel. And verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, 
but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So that is within our prayers for the lost, that they will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And to confess that amongst the people in baptism, a water baptism. That alone is the true, or I feel is the true confession that I made that decision to be buried as Christ was buried and to be risen in, as a new creature so that I may serve God Almighty. And that's an important step for us. Some people hesitate. They're not sure. They're going back to that doubt. Here I encourage you to encourage others as you preach the gospel that accept Jesus Christ, that you're a sinner. There's no doubt about that. We've all sinned. And we've asked for forgiveness. I ask for forgiveness every day, every morning, probably about two or three times throughout the day. And know that Jesus has forgiven me and believe that and repent from that. Turn 180 degrees of the way I'm going. So I love that we are saved by acknowledging that and that we will be baptized that we were baptized verse 17 says and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name they will cast out demons they will speak in new tongues and that day lord will know because the speaking in new tongues as we learned in Acts 2 4 it was a miracle in that upper room as the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and those in the room and in the town they heard their languages because there was multiple cultures in that town and heard them speaking in their native language and for me, it was hard enough to learn to speak English. And I don't speak any Spanish. So can you imagine that? So I'm trying to learn to speak Spanish, which I've been for, I don't know, my whole 58 years of living, I guess. And when I marry my wife, Shippen, she speaks more Spanish than I do. So she's still teaching me on that part. But I do have a cousin that works for the DEA. And I was talking to her sister last month, and she was telling me that she's going to Thailand. And for in preparation to go to Thailand, she had to do 800 hours of language learning, speaking of Thai. She said it took her eight months to learn that. She goes in January. She just finished the lessons in July. And when I talked to her Thursday night, she said, I pretty much forgot 
almost half of what they taught me. But learning the new language is, is it could be a miracle or we could do it as, as in, in studying and learning because what I pray for her is that in a protective way, she's going to carry the gospel to Thailand, Bangkok. And she's there for three years. And I said, hey, that's the same amount of time Jesus walked the earth. So I pray for you, Esther. That's my cousin. I have a daughter named Esther, too. That, that's where I got the name from. Verse, in verse 17 again. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. And here we've seen in, in scripture where Jesus has cast out demons. And it goes on that they will speak in tongues. And they, verse 18 says, they will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And with that, and the part of the demons is that we are exposed to the attacks of the devil. We are exposed to the demons that roam around. And we pray, we pray this, that we are protected. But as it comes up and is revealed to us, Jesus has given us the power and authority by the Holy Spirit to take those, to cast them down, to take that shield of faith, that sword of the Spirit, and battle those so that we could be an instrument of that heel that Jesus took to crush the serpent's head. Because the serpent is always lurking around. And some of you might remember my last sermon of, of the Leviathan, that sea creature that just murks. I thought that, you know, that symbolized the Leviathan spirit, that how it lurks around. And that we need to be in the gospel, know the word, so that we can crush these heads, take up these serpents. They also, in verse 18, mentioned about they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We prayed this morning for those that are ill. We continue to pray for them. We prayed for each other. Hold hands in prayer over sickness. And by doing that, it's just, again, exposing and ex exhibiting our faith to Jesus. Because my testimony is this. In, in the fall of 1995, I was at a men's retreat over at, over at uh, Angus Church, the Bonita Park. It was called the Men of Iron. There was probably about like 15 churches from out the southeast uh, state, some of West Texas, 
And I believe they still meet here in Ridoso at the convention center. They haven't, of course, in the last two years due to uh, COVID. But that one, that one fall day, all men, it was an evening service. And they called up, the minister that was preaching that night, he called up those that are in need of healing, those that are sick. And a bunch of men came up as well as I did. Because two years prior to that, I found out that I was diagnosed with hepatitis C. So that was in January of 93. And of course, right then, you know, I'm like, how in the heck am I going to deal with this? I had young children. I was about halfway through my career. And how am I going to deal with this? So by faith, I went up on the stage. And a, a brother, another man there, the ministering, laid hands on me. He was the pastor of Church on the Move in Roswell. Um, I think he's at the, he is at the Legacy Church in Albuquerque. Steve Smotherman. And he laid his hands on me and prayed over this. And he sent, he knew how I contacted. And at that you would be free of this addiction that caused this. And that you would trust in the Lord to heal you. And I took that to heart. That, that really penetrated my heart. And with that, I went home and still doubting, am I really going to be healed of this? Because the first gastrologist, he told me, you'll be lucky, you'll be lucky to make 40 if you don't start treatment right now. And I did some research on the treatment, and it was bad treatment. I had some good, strong men, a good friend of mine, Bubba. I talked to him, and he said, you know, Rifle, all I could do was three months, and it was knocking me down. But he had to get back to work, you know. I can't be off work more than that. So he stopped treatment and went on. Well, with that in mind, I found another gastrologist because I didn't like the one that was telling me, you got to take this, you're demanding, you know, me to take it. And what he told me was, was amazing. Dr. Acorn, he said, you know what? You're pretty healthy, you know? You're not, you're not, you know, deathly ill. Let's do a, a biopsy on your liver, see what stage you're at. And we'll go from there, which he came back. It came back, and I was in stage one of, of the liver damage. And he told me, there's new medicine coming out every year. So just, just do what you're doing. Don't drink. He did say that. However, I continue to drink, but he don't drink. So anyway, I stuck with that try to eat healthy. It was hard to give up tamales. I think I went down from about a dozen to about six of tamales in a day. Well, I didn't ever eat a dozen, but within the weekend, I usually did. But anyway, that was the things that were reducing in my life. Thinking back to where that pastor laid hands on me, 
and meeting Shippen and, and wooing her, I confessed to her, I have hepatitis B. And I know I will be healed of it. And three years later, I was healed to give the glory to God and to share with you guys that healing could come 30 years later or 25 years later. So with all this, we go out to preach. The Great Commission is exactly that, to go out and preach the gospel. And I mentioned earlier about preaching to my children and grandchildren, which is all of ours. And we take this moment, this time, to recognize some of our youth that soon will be teenagers, that soon will be, well, they're sitting in with us today, but we'll continue. So I would ask all of you at some time is, is to meet them and get to know them. So I'm going to call up Audrey, Samuel, Luca. You'll come up here with me, you guys. And the instructors of our children's church, I need you guys too. Come on up here, you guys. This is our future, as they always say. Stand right here, Samuel. We love you. Oh, come on, Luca, wake up, man. <laughs> We're going to pray over this. Come on, boss. Or you guys are going to pray. The teachers, these are our, our youth teachers, and the adults are the teachers of the youth. <laughs> and then we have our students, because from this point on, they'll be sitting with us. I, I guess I could say they graduated from children's church and now into adult church. Now I need to go back to children's church is what I need to do, but anyway, so we're gonna pray over them. 